Does anybody like to watch TV? I saw your hand went up quick. The rest of you are liars. <laughs> like to watch TV. Maybe your TV is now your smartphone or your tablet um, or uh, even your computer. Uh, you know, the, the, the up-and-coming generation watch more YouTube than they do TV. That's what the, t- the statistics tell us, uh, which is interesting and fascinating, which is also why many companies are pouring more money there. <clears throat> but uh, we like to watch TV in our house. Uh, and there's a show that's not on anymore. My wife and I used to watch it. Um, <clears throat> but it's about parents and their kids, and it's funny because, you know, we're parents and we have kids. And uh, the situations that arise, you can relate to. Um, well, there's this one scenario um, in, the, in the show we were watching <clears throat> where the parents, the dad's typically very laid back, and the mom's typically very uptight in the show. And uh, they've got two kids who are older, off at college, and they come back from college uh, for a little while. And uh, uh, being back home is kind of a, a, a shock, kind of a culture adjustment, uh, because they've got to go back to living to mom and dad's rules now that they're home. And uh, they're used to staying out as late as they want, doing whatever they want, not really having anything. And there's a, a headbutt moment between the parents and the kids who have been off at college. Um, because the parents want to know when the kids are coming home. They don't want to, you know, be scared at 2 in the morning, not wondering where their kids are at. Uh, well, come to find out, though, the dad is a, begins to get a little more anxious and a little more worried about where the kids are than the mom, and he can't figure this out. Because usually she's the one who freaks out. She's the worried one. And uh, she finally said the kids go off to bed. And she says, well, don't tell them this. And I know that you typically just say what comes into your mind, so don't say this to anybody. And she pulls out her phone and says, well, I can see on my phone where they are, so I'm not worried. I can track them on my phone because, you know, we pay for the cell phone, so I can see everything there. And uh, this is a revelation to him. And he begins, becomes, the dad becomes obsessed with this uh, to the point to where one day he's on the phone with his son saying, hey, if you run by so-and-so place, you know, Taco Bell, can you grab me a taco real quick? And the son tells him on the phone, hey, I'm not anywhere near there. And dad pulls out the phone and says, oh, you're not anywhere near the Taco Bell right now, and you can't grab me a taco right now. And uh, he doesn't let it slip in. But later on, uh, uh, the mom is in bed asleep, and it's middle of the night. It's like 1 a.m. And the dad comes in and wakes her up and says, have you checked the phone? Have you checked the dots on the map yet to see where our kids are at? And she says, no, they're, they're, they're at a friend's house. It's no big deal. They're at a party over there. And he says, well, yeah, our son is. I can see the dot on the phone where the son's there. But our daughter right there, she's in a ditch. She's in a ditch. And the mom said, have you tried to call? I've called her 20 times. He said, but she's, I can see it. it. Technology always works. She's in the ditch. And so they grab their keys and they jump in the car and they go down there. And they're, um, but in the meantime, as they're driving to the ditch, uh, the kids come home. And it's the son and the daughter, and they come in the house. All the lights are on. The mom's purse is sitting there. And they begin to freak out a little bit. Say, well, maybe they're just giving us a taste of our own medicine, right? We, you know, we come home in the middle of the night, we can't find them. And then, uh, uh, but they see the mom's purse, and they see the lights on. They begin to get a little worried. And the son says to, or the, you know, the brother says to the sister, well, I'm not too worried because, you know, I, I've got this app where I can see where they're at. So I can know when they're not home, and I can come home and get food from the fridge and stuff like this. And, and uh, <laughs> so he pulls out his phone and he looks and he says, well, actually both their dots right now are in a ditch 
on the side of the road. And so they begin, their mind begins to go to this place. Our parents are, somebody's come in our house, seen we don't have anything of value, and took our parents. And now they've thrown them in a ditch. And so they jump in the car, and they go to the ditch, and they pull up. And there's the parents searching the leaves in the side of the road. And the kids jump out of the car, and they all hug, and then they all scream at each other. Why are you here? Well, we saw on the map, and you're tracking us? Well, how did you know we're here? Well, you're tracking us. And it came this big deal. And they finally get uh, to the point to where the dad makes, he says, I'm going to delete all these apps off all of our phones. And he asks his son to delete all the apps off of all of their phones. He says, this is just bad for us. You see, what happens a lot of the time is when a situation comes that we're uncertain about, that we may not have absolute control over or, or have absolute knowledge about everything going on, we begin to rehearse in our minds the bad news. We begin to rehearse the worst possible scenario. They're lying in a ditch, dead. The worst possible thing that could ever happen, that's where they are. Oh, and going back to that story, her phone just glitched. That's why it said she was in a ditch. It's not because, you know, it, technology happens that way. But we, we do this. If something comes up that we can't control, we instantly go in our head, well, this could go to here, and this could happen to here, and this could happen over here, and, and, and our brains begin to be consumed with this terrible uh, outline of a scenario. We begin to rehearse bad news and bad conversations and bad situations and how it can get worse and how it will be devastating for everyone because of this thing is happening, and this anxiety begins to well up within us in our hearts, and it begins to grab our stomachs and move us, and, and because of what we're thinking, it takes us to a place we're not ready to go. And Jesus speaks about this uh, uh, in a very personal way uh, in Matthew chapter 6. Um, so turn to Matthew chapter 6 uh, if you have your Bible there. If you want to use a Bible on the rack, I believe it's on page 811. Um, you can find it also on the screens. It'll be on our website, thequeen.church, if you want to use your smartphone. Um, Matthew chapter 6. You know, Jesus talked about in the passage immediately before this, um, as we looked last week, if you were here last week, you can check it out online, the kind of the introduction to this section of scripture, um, about keeping our attention on Jesus. And then he talks about anxiety here, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, anxiety, this, this anxious feeling, this is a worry about a possible danger or a possible misfortune. There's no guarantee the thing's going to happen. It's possible, and so it's a worry about this thing. And so when Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will put on, the clothes you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. You know, if God can be trusted to give life in the body, can he also be trusted to provide food for the life and clothes for the body? Sometimes we may find it easy to trust God, or maybe not easy is the right way to say it. Maybe we may find it not too hard to trust God with things beyond our control, like making our lungs function. I don't worry about my lungs functioning. I don't worry about my heart beating. I, they just do. I don't worry when I go to sleep. Am I going to wake up and is my lungs going to, are they still going to function while I'm asleep? Is it still going to work? 
Is all that, am I going to wake up and my eyeballs work in the morning? Is, is it, it just works because God, I trust God with that stuff. And so God says, well, if you can trust me with or G, what Jesus is saying, if you can trust God with those things, then shouldn't you also be able to trust God with the other stuff, with the stuff that we may honestly assume is within our control, within our circle of influence. Like he says, food and drink and clothes. But because those things are within my influence and within my control, I tend to not trust God with them completely and want to take care of it myself. You see, I listen to the voice uh, that's speaking to me, that's speaking the anxious language of possibility, that's speaking that into the back of my mind to convince me that my own expertise and influence are needed to better that situation. And so I listen to that and allow it to take me down a path I don't want to go. And when I do that, what ends up happening is I elbow God out of the perfect position of influence he has in my life. When I take control over those things, I'm elbowing God out of the way so I can take it and I can do it and not allow him to do that thing, not trusting him to do it. The anxious language of possibility can convince me to elbow God out of his perfect position of influence. It can convince me, this anxious language of possibility, that I am the only one who knows how best to handle the situation. I know God is, is great and God is all-powerful and God can do it, but I am the only one who, who, who knows how to get this done, who has the expertise and, and, and has the skills and has the knowledge to do it. I know God knows everything and all that stuff, but I can do it. And that's what we do, is we, we allow this voice in our mind to convince us that we have to inject our own influence on the situation and elbow God out of the way so we can handle it. But in doing that, in taking on the full might of the responsibility, we also absorb the anxiety that goes along with it. Look at verse 26. Jesus gives this, this illustration over the next seven verses. Kind of a, a, an argument for trusting God with those things. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, look at birds. They don't work, and yet God provides them food. They still have to go out and get the food. They still have to do something, but God provides it for them. And he says, aren't you more valuable than birds? Another illustration, verse 27. And which of you, being, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So, by worrying, does it make you live longer? Or do you think by worrying you may live a shorter life? Honestly, because it's doing some terrible things to your heart and your innards. He says you can't, verse 28. So why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So he says, if you just look at flowers, Right? Flowers don't have a long shelf life. They, they, they you know, are easy, easily trampled on, easily mowed over, and yet they're beautiful and they're, fast, and, and they're amazing. 
and, and we love to look at them. He says, but if God can create something like that and so clothe something that's just, you know, grass in the field, how much more can he clothe you who are worth infinitely more? The pinnacle of God's creation. He dedicated a whole day to creating humanity. He created flowers as he created everything else. Because you're worth so much more than that. And he says, oh, you of little faith. He's, he's going to use this phrase a lot. In especially speaking to his disciples, the people who are supposed to believe, the people who are supposed to have great faith. He says, you have little faith. And what that literally means in the original language, insufficient faith, faith that's not enough. He says, you guys, you don't get it. You're worrying about this stuff, but God's got it. He can handle it. The clothes, no big deal. I mean, these are a Jews, they know their own Jewish history. When the Jews were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, you know, one of the miracles is not often talked about. We talk about the manna. We talk about the quail that provided food every day, crossing the Red Sea. It said when they, when they got out of the wilderness, none of them had to make new clothes for 40 years. They didn't have, you know, B.C. Walmart either. They, they, it said God allowed their shoes and their clothing to not wear out which anybody who has kids knows that would be a huge miracle. Their clothes and their shoes never wear out, ever. For 40 years, God made this happen. And yet here today, he's speaking to these disciples and to us, saying, your faith is insufficient if you can't trust God with something so small and so easy. And so he says this, verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, when he says the Gentiles there, he's not saying something racial. He's talking unbelievers. He's saying people who don't believe God, people who don't believe in God, people who don't follow God. That's what he's saying by that. He's saying the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after all that stuff. They pursue everything they can to be able to consume everything through, through food, through clothing, through uh, possessions, through accumulation. They want it all, and so they work to get it all and get more money so they can buy more stuff. He says, people who don't believe in God, do that stuff. You guys should know better than this because the, the one who provides for you, the heavenly Father, knows that you need them. So the one who has the power and desire to provide already knows what I need. And he will provide right on time, every single time. The one who has the power and desire to provide already knows what I need. He says it right there in the passage. The Father knows that you need these things. He knows that we need those things. He knows. Who knows better how to provide food for me, me, who can see it, or the one who designed the body to digest the food to provide the energy. The maker knows better. And so Jesus, is, he's, he's not there yet. He's building his point and saying, we got to trust the one who made us, the one who can provide, the one who, who can provide in all these ways for the birds, for the grass, for the flowers and all this stuff. He's the one who is singularly trustworthy above all else. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day has got its own trouble without adding my trouble to that day. But he says, if I am to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means God's will, if I'm going to follow God's will, then all of the things that I'm worried about providing, all the things I'm worried about, all the needs that I'm worried about, all the things that I'm anxious about, he says, will be added to you, will be added to you, whereas by being anxious about the things, I am not trusting God to do the things because I feel like I know better how to accomplish the thing. If only I knew the plan, but to know the plan is not to have faith in the one who designed the plan. If I were in control, then I would be able to do this, but if I were in control, then God would not be in control. And I've got my own assignment from God. I can't take God's job, but I try to. We all try to sometimes. You see, if I fulfill my assignment, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Follow God and God's will for you, God's plan for you. If I fulfill my assignment according to God's expectations, not according to somebody else's expectations, not according to my own expectations, but fulfill my assignment given to me by God according to his expectations for me, then the rest of that verse he will fulfill his responsibility of provision. Instead of trying to elbow God out of his role and his his responsibility to provide, if I would stay focused on my job and my responsibility, which means seeking him and, and following his will and let him take care of the provision, then everything will fall into place. He says, all of this will be added to you, all. Now that's a promise from the Son of God. That's just not some flippant words. There's nothing flippant in Scripture. That's just not some randomness. That is a promise from the Son of God. He says all of these things will be added. Not maybe, possibly, if God's in a good mood that day. He says they will be added. Guaranteed, they will be added unto you. They will be. However, a lot of times I try to fulfill God's responsibility of provision before I even begin to think about my own responsibility of following his plan and his will. And unbelievers, he says there, the Gentiles, unbelievers, chase after need fulfillment. While we as believers have have an assignment from God for something different. Not to pursue need fulfillment. That's God's job. He's got the need fulfillment down. My job is to follow God's will and God's plan for me. But if I'm too busy trying to do the need fulfillment, trying to do God's job, then I'm too busy to hear what his will is to follow in my life. If I'm too busy trying to do God's job, I can't do my own. I can't do my own in my marriage. I can't do my own in parenting my kids. I can't do my own in my job. I can't do my own as a member of the community. I can't do my own responsibility in friendship. I can't do my own because I'm too busy doing God's job, trying to do what he has specifically set aside as for him to accomplish. And there are a great many things that only God can do. And there are things that he expects me to do with his aid and his strength through me. But look at that 33 again. Seek first the kingdom of God. Pursue God, the kingdom of God. Pursue God's will, God's plan, and all these things will be added. So he says their provision, a need provision, is promised for those 
finding and following God's will. Provision is promised for those finding and following God's will. Now, oftentimes where I get in trouble in this is what I consider to be need provision isn't often what I really need. My list of needs often is a lot longer than the one of the list that God has of what I really truly need. Because I want more than just my needs. I can, you know, finagle it in my mind and have a list of loopholes and say, well, God, actually, I need this and this and this and this and this and this and this. You know, I got a list of 25 things. And God says, well, really, you only need four on that list. Uh, I said, but God, I really need this because of this, and it helps me accomplish this, and it helps me do this, and I can go here and do that, and I can, I can uh, uh, do more and, and, and accomplish this. And he says, but you don't really need that to do the will and the purpose that I made you to do. And so he provides my actual needs. And pursuing his kingdom, as he says there in verse 33, and his will helps me better understand what I actually do need and gives me a better perspective on God's will and God's purpose and God's heart. But I've got to pursue him, pursue his will. And the thing about God's will is God's will is not hidden. It's not you know, hidden out there in the yard with an X marked it, and you've got to dig around to find it. You've got to you know, do certain things to get there. It's not hidden anywhere. God's will is not hidden. Far too often, though, instead of seeking God's kingdom and his will, I develop my own plan rather than step into God's plan. I spend too much time developing my own plan because I'm anxious about a situation and worried about a situation rather than pursuing God and stepping into his plan. And I've, all this time that I've spent developing my own plan, I walk in my plan instead of listening to God and following his plan. And that gets me into all kinds of trouble all kinds of trouble. You see, I see this, and I read this, and I don't know about you guys, and on some level, all of us deal with anxiety in different ways, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But you see Jesus saying, do not be anxious. He says it twice there, verse 25, verse 31. Do not be anxious. Great. <laughs> How? How do I do it? Do not be, do not be anxious. Okay? How do I, how do, I do that? How do, how, how do I, we were watching a show the other day. Maybe this is in my notes. But we were watching a show the other day. We don't watch TV all the time. Okay? <laughs> uh, we, well, we were watching one the other day. And this guy on the show discovered the one phrase in the, in the English language that universally sparks the opposite. That if you tell someone to calm down. It doesn't work. Try telling your wife that this afternoon. Let's see how that does not work. Try telling your kids, calm down. And that just that's like gasoline on the fire. It just escalates the scenario and makes it so much. I'm helping some of you husbands right now. Don't say, you put that in the part of your brain that says, do not say these words. Don't say calm down. It, no, don't. Mark, that's, those are bad, that's, that's, that goes in the profanity part of your brain. Just, it doesn't work. Calm down. And I hear Jesus saying, do not be anxious. And I'm thinking, those are great words. I'm going to write that out. But then I can put that on my mirror and say, do not be anxious today. What's that going to do for me? How, how am I going to do that? 
And I begin to feel the anxiety of a scenario. And, and, and again, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. You get anxiety about a situation. And so you start to think about the situation, which builds more anxiety about the situation. That makes you think more about the situation. That builds more anxiety. It's a cycle, and it just keeps growing and getting bigger, and you can't get rid of it. And I see that, do not be anxious. Oh, but I'm so anxious right now. Do not be anxious. Stop. Oh, I can't. It's just so consuming, and it's everywhere within me. And I try to, this is a reason a lot of times we try to veg out. You know, we, 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 we pop on the streaming service and we pop out whatever and we just try to relieve our brain of the pressure for the moment and distract ourselves so that we don't get lost in the cycle of anxiety. But that doesn't help anything because it's still there. It's still eating away at us. So how do we do this? Well, the answer is in Scripture. Surprise. It follows a similar instruction from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 to be on the screen. Paul writes this. Do not be anxious about anything. Great. There it is again. Do not be anxious. This time Paul says about anything. Okay, there's no room to wiggle in there. I mean, any possible thing. Do not worry about your health. Do not worry about your finances. Do not worry about your kids. Do not worry about your parents. Do not worry about your friends. Do not worry about your job. Do not worry about anything. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What you have learned, uh, down to verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So if you look at those verses, do not be anxious, but in everything by prayer, and the peace of God will come. So peace is the antidote to anxiety. Peace is the antidote to anxiety. Peace is the antidote. It's the antidote. So, okay, good. How do I get it? <laughs> you know, I can think all day long, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace. And that just makes me more anxious because now I'm repeating this mantra and it's not working and I'm getting more frustrated and worried about the situation. Everybody thinks I'm crazy now and now I'm worried about everybody thinking I'm crazy because I'm just saying, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace. And it's not working. What do I do with this? You know, Isaiah, and uh, Katie gave me this this week. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Isaiah speaking to God said this. God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on, keeping your mind on Jesus and not the anxiety changes things. But the thing about peace too and keeping our mind on, on God, peace has to come from an outside source. I can't will myself into finding peace and getting rid of anxiety. Because if I use my own mind and my own heart to try to bring peace, it's not going to work. Because my mind and my heart is the battleground for peace. That's where the anxiety resides, in my heart and in my mind. And if I try to introduce it, it won't work because I am part of the problem. It's got to come from an outside source. That's why Isaiah, speaking to God, says, peace comes from you. Peace comes 
from you. That's why Paul, in writing Philippians chapter 4, said you go to God because he's the one who's got the peace. He's the one who has it. You see there in Philippians 4, 9, that it is the God of peace will be with you. If you follow God's will, if you follow God's plan, if you follow God's practices. He said the same thing he said in Matthew 6, 33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. His provision, he will take care of everything. He will provide peace because he's got it all in his hands. The peace of God guards my heart and my mind from attack. If my mind and my heart are the battlegrounds, the peace of God will provide, will guard my heart and my mind. That's what he said. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. His, his peace will guard your heart and mind. Guard them. That means remove the mess that's there that's causing the anxiety, clean it out, and then stand guard to prevent further damage from coming. So he will guard us, protect us. The peace will serve like a, a protective barrier from any anxiety that would seek to come, any worry that would seek to come and, and wreck your insides. The peace of God provides this. The peace of God keeps the enemy at bay. But again, I have to embrace the peace and not distract myself when the anxiety comes. Not try to put off dealing with it. Because putting off dealing with it is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Because if you put off dealing with it and veg out and try to numb the experience and the feeling of anxiety. Try to numb it with whatever self-medication you use, whether it's streaming or liquid or pills. Whether you, whatever it is you try to numb it with doesn't remove it because it's still there. To remove it completely, you need to access the peace of God. I've got somebody who's going to help me with this illustration. This is my friend Mickey, if you've never seen him before. This is from our house. <laughs> this, um, this is Hope's, and it's as big as she, she is. Um, but if you've got anxiety, oftentimes we do try to forget that it's there, even though it's hanging on to our back. Charlie woke up, hey. <laughs> Anxiety will hang on to our back, it'll have a hold of our heart, and it'll have a hold of our head. And we'll act like it's not there, even though it's, we can feel it, it's there, it's all over us, so we can, it's my microphone, Mickey. And it's there, but, and it's got a hold of us, and we can try to distract ourselves and watch the thing, and, and stream the thing, and try to, try to numb, make us forget that it's there, but it's still there. No matter how much streaming we do, no matter how many times we tell Netflix, yes, we're still watching, no matter how many you know, uh, uh, drinks we take or pills we pop, it's still there when it's all said and done and it wears off. And we try to go to sleep with this thing hanging on our back with its hand on our heart and its hand on our head and we can't get rid of it and it's still breathing down our neck and we just can't remove it. How do we get rid of it? How can we pull it out. I mean, just like the instruction from Jesus and Paul, do not be anxious. Okay, the antidote to anxiety is peace. How do we get it? 
I know the, the antidote. I know the cure. But how can I get it? How can I get this thing off of me? It just won't get off. Well, it's right there in what we just read. In Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer, in prayer and supplication. Prayer is speaking with God. Supplication is urgent requests made to God. Urgent requests. Urgent requests based on need. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, which means everything, but in everything, which means anything, by prayer and supplication, by praying with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. God who, we saw back in Jesus' words, God who knows what you need will provide. Through prayer, through prayer. Peace is only distributed through prayer. Peace is only distributed through prayer. Peace is only accessed through prayer. You can't bring in fake peace by numbing the sensation of anxiety. You can't because it's still there. The only antidote, the only cure, the only way to remove it is with peace. Is with peace. And you can only get peace from prayer. Now, it doesn't mean, you you know, if you struggle with anxiety, and I can tell you I sometimes struggle with anxiety, and I've got got my prayer journal right there. I can show you. I mean, it was boom, boom, boom in the last few weeks, probably in the lead up to this. It's been anxious about this and that and the other thing. And I'll say, I'm praying for peace on this day. Every single time, day of, God delivered. Every single time. Every single time. He provided the peace because of prayer. Prayer is the only way to access what's being distributed in peace. Because it it puts our attention on the only one who can provide the answer. Jesus. But the thing about anxiety that I did not take the time, honestly, to understand until going through this the last several weeks, is that I used to think I was pretty even keel, you know, pretty chill, pretty laid back, you know, you know, wouldn't, you know, on occasion get riled up, but, but on the whole, I, you know, kept things pretty low. That's the way I thought about myself, at least. But what I saw in, in studying Matthew 6 and Philippians 4 is... The issue is that I am a pretty anxious person because anxiety is not an emotional issue. It's not an emotional state at all. It's a trust issue. It's a control issue. It's a faith issue. A control issue is a trust issue. If I'm anxious about a situation, it's because I don't trust God. Or if I'm anxious about a situation that's in somebody else's purview and somebody else's control, it's because I don't trust them to do it. It's a trust issue. I don't have faith that they're going to do it. I don't have I don't trust them. I don't trust that God's going to do it, and so I'm anxious about it. And, and so I, I, I struggle with this. And some of you may as well. And you have to get to the point of, do I trust God or not? Do I believe in this thing or not? Am I willing to follow God or not? Yeah, it's going to be hard, and yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's going to be pervasive. And the thing about anxiety is it's a chronic thing. It's ongoing. It will last some of us the rest of our lives. But we can get relief every day if we pursue Jesus in prayer and access the peace that he offers because it only comes from him. 
I don't have the self-discipline. Or, or you know what? There's no supernatural power in my self-discipline to provide peace myself. I have to get it from Jesus. That's the only way you're going to get it. That's the only way. That's the only way you're going to find relief is peace. The only way. The on, some of you right now, some of you right now, what you need to do is go home and pour something down the drain because you've been numbing the, the issue for too long. Or you need to take that pill that's in your purse right now, the bottle, and toss it in the trash right now. As soon as we're done, those trash cans right out there, dump, put it in the trash. And don't go back digging through the trash because you've been numbing the pain too long. And, and here is the answer. Paul, Jesus gives us the answer to find relief from the pain that we have continually numbed with other things. And the relief is Jesus through prayer. Prayer will provide your peace. And so I'm going to challenge you. Every time you feel anxious in the next seven days, write it down. Yeah, and then write down not just that you feel it, but that you prayed for it. And then write down out beside that when God delivered you from it. That doesn't mean that you feel it today, you're going to feel it tomorrow, and so it's just ongoing. Well, he didn't answer it. But if you pray it right now, God, God provide peace for me. And then in two hours, you realize, oh, I, I, I have the peace. Write down the answer right then. Enemy's going to come for you again. He's going to bring the anxiety again. But the peace can still come if you pursue Jesus. As long as we live in this sinful world, these, these issues like anxiety will continue to come because it's part of our existence. But peace is still accessible. The cure, the antidote is still accessible if we go to Jesus and not something else. And not something else. Because that other mess will, will mess with us and take us away from where he wants us to be. Take us away from where Jesus wants us to be. And we'll find ourselves ultimately in a place and realize, God, how did I get here? How did I, how, how did I get so far away from where you wanted me to be? And then we just turn to Jesus because he's with us and we can find peace. Maybe today you need to find peace for the very first time. Maybe you've never known peace before. All you've known is this low level of anxiety that was constant and every once in a while it would spike and, and, and that's all you've ever known for the, your entire life and you've never known what it's like to experience true and absolute calm in the storm. Peace from Jesus. And you need to believe in Jesus today. Access that peace today. Believe that Jesus is God's son. That he rose from the, uh, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. And if you believe that, you gain eternal life. You gain salvation. You gain heaven. And it can never be taken away from you. Ever. By anything you do, by anything anybody else does, if you believe it, you have it for all time. Because you're not strong enough to undo what Jesus already did for you. His great power in his death and resurrection provided eternal life for you, if you believe it. And in that can come peace and relief that you've never known before.
You can have it now. Access it now. Jesus told us in John 17, eternal life is now if we believe. And so you can access that eternal peace now. Maybe as a believer, you struggle with anxiety as I do. And it pops up and it crops up in different ways and you don't know how to deal with it. Maybe it crops up as an issue that it truly is of control and you try to control everything you can get your hands on, everything within your circle of influence and you don't have much trust for many people because this is an issue for you. And at the root of it is anxiety and honestly pride. And you say, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need need peace. And so that's what we're going to do right now, is we're going to pray. We're going to pray for peace. We're going to pray for peace. Pray for peace for you. Maybe you have a family member or a friend who desperately struggles with anxiety in any of its forms, and you need to pray for peace for that person. Maybe that person's here in the room. Maybe you need to grab, maybe it's your struggle, and you need to grab somebody, and you need to say, man, I need help with this deal. I need help with this deal. I I need Jesus. I need him so desperately. And you need prayer, not just you praying, but somebody. Bring somebody along with you to pray with you and find power in peace from Jesus now in the moment.